0: Okay, so I'm going to start by sharing a brief portion of a sermon that I shared, well, new in this position, back in December of 2018. All right, so here I go. This is what it was. Back in May of 2018, when I was considering a change of employment from working in Reston to working here as the DRE, I came to scope the place out. I came with my mom, who's here again, one early May morning, when Reverend Carl was preaching on Henry David Thoreau. He called us to move from dependence to independence and then interdependence. We heard beautiful music from the choir. We sensed the positive feel of this congregation. And I enjoyed my experience entirely. After the service, I went out to the labyrinth, as it seemed to be calling me. I set my intention. Spirit, help me to know what is in the highest good for all. I walked and I meditated. I prayed and I walked around and around the labyrinth until I reached the center. I stopped and I looked out at Sugarloaf Mountain, and I heard these words in my head. Feed yourself so that you may feed others. Come home. So I concluded that sermon by saying, my hope for you, for us, in this beloved community, is that whenever you walk through those doors, you feel at home, peaceful, and at ease. My wish for you and for us is that here, we can unravel and be exactly who we are. So my goal at that time, as, as a DRE professional, was to grow a dynamic, energized RE program that would create lasting connections for our children and youth. And that was still, like, throughout the whole, my whole experience here, that really was my major goal. My hope was that our children and youth would feel the sense of home and, the, and to know that they are a part of this interdependent web of life. I envisioned working here until I sent my kids to college. On a personal level, I actually came here because I wanted to scale back. I wanted to be able to have more time to think and write and be. Did that pan out? I don't know. (laughs) In our story today with Hope, we addressed a bit about layers and the masks that we often put on our true self. We box ourselves in so that the world will tolerate us, so to speak or sometimes so that we can tolerate the world. Many of those layers are completely necessary. People can be cruel. Life can be hard. Well, writing this, ser- well, right this sermon, I needed, to, I needed so many brain breaks because already I was like, this isn't good. You're not enough. What are you saying? Nobody cares. Like, that happened a million times. So during my brain breaks, I started watching the show Severance. Does anyone watch? Anyone watched it? So it's on Apple TV. Um, so, well, the concept. So here's the concept: that there are these employees, and they're at a company, and they willing, they willingly go through a process of completely severing their men, memories between their work life and the rest of their life through a surgical divide. Yeah, it's a fascinating and chilling story, but it really made me think: how many of us? sever our own selves just to get through? How far have we gone from our deepest, truest selves out of fear, pain, ignorance, necessity? We have many choices in how we navigate this life experience, but at some point, many of us will put up layers or separate parts of ourselves as a protective barrier. We protect ourselves from being hurt, because that deepest part of us just wants to be loved and accepted seen and feeling feel valued we really want that i really want it as children we might not have we might not have uh, <laughs> let me start again as children we might not have the maturity or experience to find our inner selves as a source of strength For so many years, sometimes we wear wear masks. We gear up to fit in. I have worn so many layers throughout my life, and they have been heavy. I've covered up so much that at 38, when a beloved friend's husband died suddenly, I took a long, hard look at my life, and I realized I didn't even recognize myself anymore. There's nothing like death to help you re-evaluate life, right? So one day, the mask that many of us wear makes it too hard to breathe. We just can't anymore. We start to unravel. And it's terrifying and terrific all at once. At some point, you just have to be yourself. Because the weight of carrying around all those extra layers, the ones that used to protect you, stifles you. As a child, I was super creative. I was always making up stories and songs, creating this thing, starting this club musical, making a massive party. I prized myself in being able to create anything I needed with whatever was in front of me. Creativity was my home. Creativity is my home. I remember some of my first protective layers. In first grade, and my mom knows this story well, in first grade, my teacher, Mrs. Baglia, she told the class to take out a paper and crayons and to draw anything. I raised my hand and I was like, what do you mean like anything? And her response was just anything. I was like, that's a huge task, I mean anything. So I looked at what other kids were doing. They were drawing houses and trees and cats and cars. And I was like, that is not anything. That, those are something. Right? That is not anything. They were things. So not knowing how to draw anything, I got a bunch of colors, and they made a ton of circles and squiggly marks. It was just it was a colorful, jumble mess. But it was anything. <laughs> awesome. When I turned it in, my teacher asked me what it was, and I, res- I responded, anything. And, and she thought I was trying to be funny. Like, she thought I was trying to be silly. And she said, next time, do what you're asked. And I was like, "Okay." (laughs) So she even had a meeting with my mom. Apparently, anything was actually something. (laughs) Thankfully, my mom thought that my drawing was delightful. So it wasn't a problem at home. But the first layer was, there are unspoken rules that you don't understand but you must follow, so don't mess up or you might get in trouble at school. I tried super hard to follow these unknown rules, but my creative thinking followed me everywhere I went. (laughs) In math, when we learned how to add large numbers, I always broke it down in chunks that made sense to me, which by the way, is now exactly how they teach math, right? Okay, but back in the 1980s, that was not what they did. There was a way to do it, and you had to do it right. Okay? So, for example, if I say, Would you please add 52 plus 63 and let me know what the total is? Go ahead, figure it out. Go ahead. Anyone got it? If you got it, yell it out. 52 plus 63. I know Toby has it over there. I see him smiling. Come on, guys, what is it? 115, okay, all right. So you've got the answer. Now, there's a million different ways that you could figure that out, like tons. And I'm sure that the way that you did it might not be the way that I did it, right? So here's how I would do it. I know that 50 plus 50 equals 100, that's easy, right? So then you need to add the two from the 52, so that's 102. And then you need to add the 13 from 63. So that's 102 plus 13, break it down further 102 plus 10 is 112 plus three is 115. Okay, so it makes sense to me. It's one strategy to get the correct answer. But to me, it was like the fastest way to do it. In fourth grade, I took a math test and I kept getting all the right answers at the end. But I didn't follow the right process. So every single question got points off. I could never get a 100 on the test and I was like, I'm getting it right! But I was doing it wrong. So um, they did teach me the rules, but I felt like the rules were harder to follow than the system that I had, right? So I just I could figure out the answers, but I could never do well on, well on tests. So I was put into modified math, right? There's another layer, bad at math, which I am not bad at math, P.S. Okay, especially because now they teach it that way. It's like put. so you get the picture with the lay- layering thing, right? It adds up. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Over the years, my creative self continued to get crushed because of the rules. So after a while, I gave up. I just gave up. So what I began to do without realizing it was lowering my bar to the point where I did only things I knew I could do within the rules. Constantly feeling like a failure or being rejected, not at home, by the way, but in the rest of the world. It just it felt horrible. I, can feel, I, like, I feel like I hear Homer Simpson saying, the lesson is never try. <laughs> and so for 20 years, I didn't. I chose to succeed at things that came relatively easy to me. After 20 years of safety, I applied to UUCF with the intention set to be my true self, to work as my true self. And you embraced me. You embraced the real me. There was a phrase I saw and I loved on Facebook, and so I posted, and it was, Too many of us have tried to tone down our weirdness for friends or partners, only later to learn that we were suppressing the best things about us. There's no joy like the joy of being your strange self and finding that there are people who love you for it. Right? So my professional goal at UUCF was going well. In 2018 to 19, we doubled our enrollment in this program. We had a great summer camp with over 35 kids, 15 counselors, fit over 50 volunteers. And then in 2019, 2020, we installed these beautiful new playgrounds. And it, which was, it was a major commitment on the part of this congregation to the children's and, children and families. And I'm forever grateful. I came here and I was like, you guys need new playgrounds. Those kids, they need to play, right? And you believed me, which was true, and I was so grateful. It was like, wow, they see what I see. This is so cool. Our whole lives was up and running, and the classes were booked with a waiting list through the community. I went to UMAC with several of our UUCF families and friends, and I led the children's programming there. We were on a roll. In March of 2020, I was beginning to plan for the next summer camp with Renee and, and the youth service learning trip to West Virginia. We're already getting all ready, and then the pandemic hit. <laughs> Ugh, COVID—it's the worst. Okay, one of the things that happened in my professional life that I will eternally be grateful for was hope. Hope had a way—was a way for me to like to get fun and to connect virtually with others. I really loved finding ways for hope to entertain, enlighten, and spread joy in our stories for all ages. Plus, I was making videos, and it felt like a wonderful creative outlet that I had missed dearly. Many congregation members wrote to me about how they loved hope, and a few didn't. But overall, hope was a happy place in an uncertain time. I also took the artist's way with Reverend Carl. And while I had taken it in my 20s, oh my gosh, it was totally just a different experience this time. If you've ever taken it once, take it twice. Take it three times. You're gonna be different every time, so cool. So I still didn't follow the rules. I couldn't always show up. I didn't journal every day, but I did. I did get a lot out of it. And my creative heart was returning. I began to think that my Hope skits might work great as children's programming. I wanted Hope to be somebody. I sent sketch ideas and pitches to various networks, and I created a YouTube channel. But alas, I I found that while it didn't gain much traction, it failed. But did it? I don't actually, I don't really actually think it did. I don't think it failed. I think that hope was exactly what they needed to be. Hope already was something. Hope was another way that returned me home and I needed hope. And I'm grateful that hope showed up. Scene change. Ready? Enter my husband, ashur Since I've known Ashur, he has always wanted to own his own business. It was his dream when immigrating from Pakistan to come. And, like, this, this was his dream. It was also his family's goal, right? They were like, go to America, get your own business. I mean, this was like... For those of you that don't have immigrant family members, this is major. Okay, that's, that's what you do. So, he always had like a million ideas. He had no money. But anyway, a million ideas, which I continuously shot down over and over. No, no, that's terrible. What are you thinking? But during the pandemic, unlike me, he had to continue to work as a lab tech. He didn't get any special days off. He was one of those medical professionals that just kept going. Here I was having my own inner renaissance with full pay, 12 more hours in my life, which were a gift from not having to get ready to commute to work. And I was lucky enough to have kids in the sweet spot of the pandemic. So they were old enough to do online school on their own and young enough to still listen to me about what they had to do. It was great. Now I would not like it as much. (laughs) But at that time, it was not bad to have a year home with them. So the pandemic for Assure was different than it was for me. And that year took its toll. When a business opportunity came up, Assure jumped at the chance. This is one of those times where you look at your best friend and your partner and you make a pretty big choice. Do I go on this journey with you or not? Because that's pretty big. It was not my dream. Do I do this with you or not? Usher has always gone on adventures with me. Usher has always encouraged me and embraced my creative wild sides. So when my best friend was ready to leap off into the great unknown, I packed a parachute and I went along. And that parachute didn't open and then we like ended up in a hot air balloon and then the air balloon got a spring leak. You know, like there's a million things that go wrong after you jump, right? Tons, but so far it's still all right. (sighs) What I didn't realize, while owning a small cafe and athletic club in Pools Maryland called K2 Cafe, there you go, there's my little, it's probably the hardest, most time consuming, stressful, emotional roller coaster I've ever been on. It's also the most fun I've ever had. Every minute feels like a wild ride that is exhilarating and terrifying all at once, every day, every minute, every second. What I didn't realize is how my creative skills are needed every single minute. From menu planning to how are we going to pay for this to connecting with customers, it's non stop creativity in a way I've never done before. It's also scary, like almost all the time. It's really scary to work super hard and not know if it will crash and burn or be successful. It's really scary. I find it interesting that for so many years, I only wanted to do what I knew could succeed. And here I am in something I still have a long ways to go before we're successful, but the work just feels right. It was hard to reduce my hours last year at UUCF because I love working here, because you embraced me and I embraced you. It was hard to let go of something that was good. Really hard to let go of something that was good. And I thought I would be here for the next 10 years in this role, so it was like I had to change my mind. It was not easy. And now when I remember those words that I heard after walking the labyrinth four years ago here at UCF, feed yourself so that you may feed others Come home. Mm. It cements further that being my true self. mm. Ah, Sorry, guys. (laughs) My most authentic self, my creative self, is being home. I wish this peace for all of us. Return to the home of your soul. What really matters is your one wild, wonderful, true self. And it matters that you are that in the world. With that, what a wonderful world it would be if we could all live as ourselves fully. Thank you, UCF. Thank you, Reverend Carl. You have a forever imprint on my heart. Thank you.